This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the Old City of Jerusalem overlooking the Western Wall. Uh, today we are discussing the a very interesting thing, and that has to do with uh, holy people suffering. Holy people and suffering. And they... And what more apropos week to do that than the week of Parsha Vayeshev, the Parsha of Yaakov, who, you know, you think his tribulations start here, but if you think of Yaakov's life, nothing goes well in this guy's life. I mean, it really doesn't go well for him. He, uh, he's, um, you know, already at the beginning of things, he's already running for his life by, because of his murderous brother, who's, you know, angry, maybe rightfully so, but nevertheless, he has to leave his home and is basically self-imposed exiled into Syria for decades. And, and he had nothing but the shirt on his back. Like, he went with nothing. You know, he went with a stick. <laughs> he had a staff, you know, and his clothes because everything was taken from him. And, and he... He, he went with nothing and then, and then falls in love with Rachel only to have a deal made with her father that he has to work for her for seven years to get her. Works for seven years and then gets, and then her, his father-in-law-to-be swaps her out for her older sister who he had you know, maybe no interest in and then makes him work another seven years to get Rachel. Like nothing's going well for this guy, and then he and then he just has this miserable situation of like fourteen years of work for this father-in-law, who's you know changing his salary tens of times, and 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 he's you know whatever it's, it's just a disaster. And when he finally gets back to Israel, he's first greeted with an army of four hundred men to slaughter him and his family. Um, he manages to make it through that situation. Um, in the end, he winds up dwelling. Vayeshev Yaakov. Vayeshev Yaakov. Yaakov dwells. He, he, Vayeshev means he sits or he dwells. And, and Rashi says here something remarkable. He says that, that when the, the holy man, like Yaakov, when he desires to, he wants to rest, like he wants to sit, how dare you, how dare a holy man sit? So you want to sit in this world and receive the pleasure and in, in the next world you want to you want to dwell in the next world and you want to dwell in this world. And then immediately his favorite son, now that's another whole class and what's this whole idea of favorite sons? But immediately his favorite son Joseph, Joseph is is kidnapped by his brother, thrown into a pit, sold down to Egypt in slavery, and his brothers come to their father with a, with you know, a, a, his bloody coat, saying he was torn apart by wild animals. And it's like, and this is Yaakov's life. And then spends, you know, he's he's been he missed his father for most of his life, and his mother for most of his life. And now he's missing his son for most of his life because Yosef spends a long time in Egypt. And all the years that Yosef's in Egypt, Yaakov's, you know, in mourning. And he could not be consoled. In fact, 
all the brothers come and line themselves up in front of him and say, hey, you still got us, you know. There's 11 more, you know. And Yaakov's just like, thanks for nothing. You know, like, like where's Yosef? And there's just, a, there's just suffering. In it. And his sons are getting in all kinds of situations with each other. And there's strife. And the sons, of, the sons of Leah are mean to the handmaid's sons. You know, meaning Reuben, Shimon, uh, Levi, and Yehuda are, are, are rude and, and will not interact with the, with the children of, uh, of Bilhah and Zilpah as like handmaid sons. Like they, they second-class citizened the handmaid's children. And you imagine, it's, it's in the measures. But they, yeah, and, they, and they're... You know, it's just yeah, everything going on in Yaakov's life throughout his life. And you see that when, when, when he finally gets taken down to Egypt as an old man, and Pharaoh asks him, How's your, you know, like, how old are you? He, he doesn't just tell him how old he is. He says, I'm this old, and it's all been suffering. All I've done is suffer the whole time. And, which is very interesting that, like... This tzaddik who who complains, you know, like it's a little strange, you know, that because like we all think that we all have a vision of like great holy people as being stoic about their suffering, you know, because they recognize it's from God, so they're just being stoic about it. And here Yaakov's not being stoic. When he gets interviewed by the king of Egypt, he says like, "All I've done is suffer this whole time." So I'd like to discuss uh, various aspects of this, and uh, one of those aspects is how we have no clue, no clue what the game is down here on this earth. We really don't know what the game is down here. And let me explain what I mean. One game we know about, we're here to connect to God. How do we know that? Because we're like, we're born to connect. Like your eyes right now are connecting with me, your ears are connecting with the sound, your, you know, your... This water is connecting with my my mouth. The, our taste buds connect with foods. Our hands shake hands with other connects with people. Our arms are built for hugging. Okay, and and obviously I don't have to get graphic here that the human body's uh, a Lego, you know, with the opposite gender. You know, it's it's all connection here like we are built for that you don't have to be a genius to figure out what this species was created for it's it's so obvious we were created to connect and and interestingly god who's like it's kind of a tall order for god to create human beings in an an opaque world to expect us to have the x-ray vision to know that all the connection we want is really to be is to extend to the eternal. You understand? Like, you know you're here for connection. You know your deepest need. I mean, no one here is going to... No one here would sit there and pretend your deepest need isn't for love and connection. Okay, no one's going to pretend that's not your deepest need. Now, you may have gone for other things, but I promise you they were just counterfeit for love and connection. Like, you might be going for its main counterfeit. What's the biggest counterfeit of, of love and connection? What's the biggest counterfeit? Anyone know? The b- number one counterfeit for love and connection. You can close the door if you want. 
Thank you. What? Okay, things. Okay, things are, you know, food, <laughs> comfort foods, you know, physical things, yeah. Yeah, or lust, right? Lust might be a counterfeit for love and connection. Food shopping. Okay, but the, the answer really is like the ultimate counterfeit for loving connection is attention. It's attention. Because it looks like love, it feels like love. When you're getting it, you just think everyone loves you. When you see someone else getting it, let's say you're at an event and someone's like surrounded by people and they're like, you know, you think, oh wow, everyone loves them. Rock stars who choke on their vomit at three in the morning, you know, and die, it's usually on the night of their biggest concert. You know, they're, they're just. They have the same voracious appetite for love. Their appetite for love is bigger because obviously, something. If you check out the biographies of all the rock stars and you know and supermodels and and uh, politicians, but usually not politicians who who die under forty in some hotel room in the middle of nowhere, you know they far from their families. They biographies things went terribly wrong in their childhood, terribly wrong, and so love was the issue. And so, and so they write these tragic songs that strike all of us deeply. And we all, you know, like, it's a good majority of the songs out there. And it's also the majority of the movie uh, scripts as well. And, and it's just striking on our hearts, on, the, on the, the thwarted love that we all needed when we were kids that we missed out on. And, and of course, they're either particularly beautiful or particularly good performers or or whatever it is, or particularly good uh, at the instrument they play, or whatever it is. And there they get their counterfeit. They're just the ultimate example of what we do. We all do this. We're all basically, you know how I see all of us? I see all of us. I mean, you know, you all look like normal, healthy people. You know, you look fairly strong and well-fed, and, you know, you all look pretty healthy. But what I see when I see people is Ethiopian starving people with distended bellies, swollen skulls, toothpick arms, and flies flying around. And, and, and even though you may look like the picture of health, I see someone who is dying inside. And that's why I will always be the most loving person in the room, unless, of course, I meet someone who's discovered what I discovered, and then we're, we're the most loving people in the room. But either I win that or I'm tied for it everywhere I go. And, the, and, and because I'm here to help people drink from the real stuff and not from, uh, not from attention, because attention leaves you deeply wanting. And, it, and, the, and the biggest clue that attention doesn't do nothing for you is that when you, it goes away, there's an empty hole in your heart. There's a deep emptiness, painful, empty feeling inside when attention goes away. It only works while it's there. The second it's gone, you are just deeper alone than you could have ever been, even without having been in the place where you were getting the attention. You're way more alone afterwards. Even for having gotten all that attention, it now the, 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 the rebound back from that rubber band to being back alone again afterwards is, is particularly rough. It would have been better not to have even gotten that attention. Sometimes I think all the rock stars who die in their hotel rooms you know, they're wealthy enough to just pay people to keep clapping while they sleep. I mean, they could just line their hotel bed with ad- admirers. I mean, who wouldn't? Some of these people have cult followings. Like, who wouldn't hang out in their hotel room while they sleep? And that would, that would just be, you know, such a comfort to those rock stars that 
they probably wouldn't need as much medication to fall asleep. But mixing medication to fall asleep with the stuff that kept them up for the concert, you can do that for a while, but after enough years in the 30s, like the body can't do it anymore. But they have no choice because they got to sleep because in the morning they have, uh, you know, like some meet the media, you know, and so it's not like they can sleep till, you know, four in the afternoon, you know, so they, they're going to have to take something. And so some of the greatest musicians who have shaped the way we think and live and love and some of the, you know, the great, the great story they tell, and we all love them so much, um, we're lost then. But everyone, what do they say in the head? And what does all the fans say? But everyone loved him. Or everyone loved her. You know, we loved her. Because we'll, we will use the word love for interchangeably with attention. All of them. Whole, whole bunch of them. You know, the reason I mentioned the musicians, at least they, they, there's a deep message that we got from them. Like, there was something deep, and there was a contribution in that. In the mess, there is a contribution in the arts that, of a message that is essential for humanity's survival. We don't pay enough attention to the arts of how much they shape our our very survival, because they they speak of they speak in terms of archetypes that are the archetypes that will guide you in your life to, to what it is you want and need. And it's amazing how we treat it as some kind of bonus. You know, music's like a bonus. It's like, or artwork is a bonus. Or, you know, we treat it like a bonus. Literally, we know this, this earth would have already fallen through, right through space from the weight of its problems had it not had, had music, you know, keeping us going, you know, and keeping us true, you know, to some extent. And that includes also the rebellion of rock and roll, because rock and roll was really a rebellion. And that rebellion is exactly what was necessary to shake up the world and the governments around the world to uh, to keep them in check. Like, you'd never think of rock, rock, you know, stoned rock musicians at what keep government in check. But that's what's been happening, you know. Certainly the 60s was the best example, but it never ended. It never ended. You can still make a hit song and affect public opinion very powerfully to keep a government in check. Now, um, anyway, but how did we get to this from suffering? How do we get on to this? We were talking about Yaakov complaining about his suffering. And, and so, how did we get there? I was talking about connection. That the whole point of creation is connection. That's what you're really here for. So th- that much we know. But there's another thing, and that is that we don't know so much. We don't know so much. And not only do we not know so much, we'll never know. I'll give you some examples of things we don't know. Um, we don't know who God is <laughs> at all, like zilch. We know Zippo. And the more you study about him, the more you realize, no, I know nothing. I know nothing. And, and how do you know? How do you know you've really come? Like, how do you know you've really gotten somewhere in Torah study? Is that you really don't know? Like now, I really don't know who God is. You know, think about it. If you have in this room someone who spent the last twenty years studying Torah, 
And you have in this room someone who's never studied Torah in any serious way. Is there anyone here who never studied Torah in a serious way? Uh, you grew up observant? Yeah, you grew up observant also? You grew up observant? Okay, welcome to Essentials where everyone grew up observant. But hey, uh, you can sit if you want. Oh, you got a seat? No, sorry. You didn't, but you've been studying Torah for years. Yeah, so, so the... Um, anyway, but if, think about it. If we had a fresh kid in here who had never studied Torah in his life, and then we took him against uh, Bob Roth back there. Yeah. The, uh, you know, how long you've been studying Torah? 22 years. So who would be more likely to say who God is? A brand, fresh kid, you know, in his kid concepts of God, which may be against him, maybe for God. It may be like, who knows what, but he certainly has a concept of God. I mean, think about it. All arguments of God like these debates online, you know, between atheists and believers, the believer is always coming with a concept of God, and so is the atheist. And, and that's why I think those, those debates need someone like me on them. Because cause the atheist, who doesn't, the God the atheist doesn't believe in, we don't believe in either. Because we don't believe in concepts around God. And he's arguing that something doesn't exist you know and we're like we agree it's not something something is this thing in front of me something is this eraser you're right something doesn't exist meaning whatever god is it's not a something and so we can agree on that whereas the religious christians that they usually debate have a whole like worked out you know identity for god and then wind up defending him and then make themselves look like absolute fools on the, in these debates and often lose the debates. But what, another thing we don't understand is suffering. We don't understand what we go through. Because we're on the other side of the, you know, we're on the other side of the veil. We don't see what we're doing here. We know nothing. We just know nothing. And, you know, it's just bizarre how we know nothing. And all the things we go through, we just, we just don't get it. The only thing you can do is just surrender your, your da, surrender yourself to, like, God, I, I don't get it, you know. But what's interesting is why does Yaakov complain? And his mother, Rebecca, also. She's pregnant with this, like, schizo baby. <laughs> You know, she doesn't know she has twins yet. What? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, but, but based on what I'm saying, there's no complaint. Because think about it. How can you complain unless you have a concept of how it should be? Right? What is a complaint? My complaint is things should be this way, but it's not. You know, like, uh, for example, this room's air conditioning is linked up to the heat of that room. So if we want to cool off in here, we can't. Okay, so this is the way it should be, and it's not. So think about all your complaints to God is you first superimposing what you think should be, and it's not. And now here's your complaint. So, so it's like, but, but we, we, we don't know what, you know, we know God's orchestrating things, because you might say, well, well, maybe God's not so busy with us, and that's why things are going sideways. 
maybe God's not that involved, you know, like God's like parasailing in a lot or he's, I don't know, he's busy with, uh, busy with politics or he's like, you know, maybe God's got like more important, maybe God's like more busy with my rabbi, you know, because he's a rabbi. But that wouldn't make any sense because even the simplest person in the world, anyone here would call themselves a simple person? Okay, so even the simplest guy in here raised his hand. What's your first name? Baruch. So, Baruch, the, um, have you ever noticed how God's been orchestrating things around you? You notice that? You know, like random stuff. You know, like, for example, you had to get here on an airplane, right? But you also had to get to the airport, and you had to be there on time, and this had to happen, that had to happen, that had to happen, that had to happen. And sometimes everything's going wrong, and then, like, just at the right moment, something goes right. And it's all getting orchestrated. I mean, it's weird. Yesterday, yesterday, my daughter is in the U.S. Embassy in Tel Aviv, which is like, why did she have to go there? I have no idea. But she had to go there to get a visa for her infant. They all have, they have tickets for her and her children. They all have visas. My daughter's U.S. citizen. And they're flying out Wednesday. So, she, and they refuse the baby, the visa. Because of some like kind of quota and algorithm, <laughs> and she's like, "Do you mind like, like getting rid of that algorithm for my baby? You know, like what am I gonna do? Leave my infant in Israel? We already bought the tickets. Like we're going, you know. So finally, the lady's like, whatever. She worked it out finally that she can have the visa in a week. At which point, my daughter's like, the flight. I mean, I told you this. The flight's Wednesday, not next week." And the whole reason we're flying is for my grandfather, my father's 90th. And like, we're flying for his 90th. Like, a week from now when the visa comes is after the party. I'm his oldest grandchild and I'm the only one who gave him great-grandchildren. Like, like, no. And the, you know what the lady says? She just says to her, you know, she's, yeah, too bad. <laughs> Sorry, change your tickets. You know, like, like, you're not, you're not, no visa for you. So that's like that's harsh, you know, and that's lame. And but it just so happens that it just so happens that whoever knew, whoever knew, whoever knew, who knows someone somewhere, like, but how did they have to know these people? Because they had to meet them at a dinner party. And they happened to know my daughter. And my daughter, and they happen to bump into my daughter for the first time in a year and a half, and see my daughter. And my daughter, they say, "What's wrong? You look a little stressed." And my daughter's like, "Well, this is what happened." And they're like, "Oh, guess who I met at a dinner party?" And then, and and it turns out to be a woman who works in the embassy, in the visa department. You know, and it's like, what? You know, and then they, and then so of course, you know, they expedited the visa, so she can travel. Which they should have done anyway. I mean, that's just normal. Normal, you know, you're supposed to be helpful. You know, I mean, what really goes into a visa besides giving it an okay and, and pressing print? You know, like what needs to happen? It's an infant. You know, it's not exactly a terror threat. You know, it's not like the it's not like the the suicide bomber baby. You know, it's like this this kid should be pretty safe. He's I don't think he's going to the U.S. for work. You know. You know, maybe he's trying to get over there to work, you know, illegally. 
anyway, but, but this morning we still didn't know if they were traveling for this momentous occasion. And, you know, I sent her a WhatsApp to find out that we're all set. Baruch Hashem. But anyway, Burich. You notice what I'm talking about in your life? How things like are orchestrated around you? Yeah, in past tense. Retro, re, retrospectively. You notice that? Do you also notice, Burich, that... Um, um, do, do you mind being filmed a little? Because it would be a hell of a lot more interesting than everyone staring at me. Do you mind showing up for this on my live feed? Sure. You don't mind? You're cool with that? Okay, so we can just, I'll just come over to you. Also, they'll hear you a lot better. <laughs> Move up. But you would also have to let go of who you became. No. You wouldn't let it go. No. Okay. Let's hear from my lovely assistant. Here. <laughs> so. What's the flip side of that coin? What do you mean? What's the flip side? And lose everyone they become. Yeah, but that's a. Uh, you know why that is? It's because not enough time's gone by. They just don't get the perspective. This, by the way, this is one of my proofs of God. One of the amazing proofs of God. You want to hear amazing proof of God? That that if you have seven billion people on Earth, and every one of them went through something ten years ago, all seven billion of them ten years later could say the same thing Bruch said takes 10 years because we've got 7 billion people. Meaning, what's the, what is the definition of a spiritual person? How long it takes you to realize that it was good. No, not if you have to give up who you became. No, but you're too fresh. Whatever happened to you was fresh. We discussed this once. But yes. You don't know yet because it's still fresch. You think Oprah Winfrey would trade having uh, had her first two 
I don't know, abortions or children, I don't remember, from rape by the time she was 12. You think she would trade that? Do you know who she became? She became a giant. And the reason she became a giant was the, the ability to become someone as a, a victorious survivor of all the hell she went through as a young, poor, unprotected child. She wouldn't trade it. She tells the stories proudly as she, but she's years, years past. So it turns out that the whole planet 10 years later, now, now this is very interesting. How could it be, how could it be that God's orchestrating suffering for 7 billion people that is building them such that if you ask them all 10 years later, not only would they say that they understand why it happened, but they wouldn't even trade it. They wouldn't even trade it. You know, I had a guy in this room. I had a guy in this room. He was in his 40s, almost 50. You know what he did? Right at this point of the class, he raised his hand and he said that he, as much as he wished his child was still alive, when his son died, his son got ill and died. When his son died, it rocked his marriage to, to a divorce and sent him on this insane journey in his life. And he said, as much as he wished his son was alive, he wouldn't trade it for who he's become over the years of his life through his journey, this crazy journey that all needed that to happen. For Because as I was saying in the first place, is we don't understand. Now, let's bring it, let's bring it real practical now. Raise your hand if there's something, large or small, it could be even something very small. Raise your hand, large or small, if there's anything if that you're going through something even now that you wish you were on the other side of. Whatever it may be. It may be like you're single and you wish you were married, and maybe you're, you're like, you know, it could be anything. You know, it could be you have a head cold and you wish you didn't. You know, like, like raise your hand if you're on the, on the you know, if you're, okay, raise your hands on that. Should be everyone. I mean, who's not going through something? You know, we're all going through something that we wish we were on the other side of. Okay, so now look. So what are you trying to do? You're trying to get out of it. We're all trying to get out of those things. We just want to be on the other side. Yet who we've become throughout our lives has been through the suffering, through everything we went through. So, like, what are we, stupid? What are we, stupid? Like, on the one hand, we'll say, like, yeah, I wouldn't trade what I went through to be, cause if I had to trade who I've become as a result of what I went through. Yet now I'm going through something because in no time you're not going through something. And you're trying to get out of that? No, how about you squeeze it out like an orange for the juice? Why don't you squeeze it out, squeeze it out and drink the lessons and become the person that God's creating out of you? You see, we're all in a giant personal growth seminar here. And God's the seminar leader. But he's such a good seminar leader that he's set up, like in real time, all these people to poke and prod you along the way. Now, I don't know if any of you have been in personal growth seminars, but I promise you that, that if it's a real one, they make you very uncomfortable. They put you in very uncomfortable positions because only then do you pop. You know, you can't make popcorn without making a kernel extremely uncomfortable because 
You know, popcorn kernels aren't known for their expansiveness. And you're not either. <laughs> you're basically a popcorn kernel. You know, like, like you know, when you start, when, you, when, it, when the heat comes on to you, you start pointing fingers everywhere else. I mean, you're just like, you know, get that, get that irritation out of here. You know, like, get rid of that thing and someone turn on the AC and like, it's getting hot. You know, and you're just like, you'll do everything you can not to pop. And because human beings are a philosophical species, we're a philosophical species, some human beings will actually create a philosophy around their suffering. <laughs> Which is like really scary, because that means you're just going to keep suffering, because like you don't, you're not going to grow. You're going to create a, a nice little story, a little narrative around it. That like you'll become some kind of martyr or hero, the, the poor me, Bahura, you know, the sufferer, and create, write a whole story about that and just keep going with that. And, and then you finally get married, and of course you'll come up with some like, he's too busy for me, and, the, and you'll keep it in your, you'll keep that story going even in your marriage and destroy the family dynamics over it. Like we, we, we are very attached philosophically to our suffering, and we, we get to know it. We get to love it. It's kind of like, like if you ever had a third, third, three-year-old with a dirt who's still making in diapers, sometimes you get a kid who's like real, not willing to be potty trained, but they're too old now. Like they got too much you know, mental capacity to be doing this, but they're still doing it. And so what do they do? They go make, and they go hide under a, you know, whatever, under a counter or in a closet. Like they'll hide somewhere and make in their diaper. And now you know what's going on because you haven't seen that kid in about an hour, and you're like, "Okay, let's let's sniff him out," you know. And, and you finally open up the walk-in closet door, and there's there's a little Smelly in there, and and Smelly just takes off, you know, like runs right by you. You know, you're chasing the kid across the room that you just want to change him or her. And that's how we are. We're, we're all like, God's chasing us down to just change our diaper. And we're just, we just, we, we, we get to, we create philosophies around our stuff. And that's just the way it is. And then we live like that. And we live like that and have our constant complaints and, and you know, and, and completely, you know, bankroll the therapist profession because we got to tell the story each week you know like because the story comes in different forms each week because you're living your life and you got to retell it with the new characters you know and the new situations and you know why do you think it costs so much to go to therapy because like i mean if you wanted to be a therapist it'd be like really fun for the first weeks so you might do it for free but i promise you after about a month you'll be charging 50 bucks at least and and, you know, how many times are you going to hear the same story over and over again, just new characters? And then, you know, a month later, two months later, three months later, you're, you're going to be at 250 bucks an hour. <laughs> and that's the amount of money it keeps you from, to keep you from hurling yourself off the end of a building, having heard that person's story every week. You know, we're basically just paying them to go through our, our rerun. You know, by the way, I'm not talking about therapy for actual issues, like problems, like, not talking about the therapists who are helping people with trauma or all the other things or, you know, like depression or, you know, I mean, real maladies. That's not what I'm discussing. I'm just talking about the paid listeners. By the way, I'm not against paid listeners either. 
You know, like once uh, once every like couple of years, I realized that I need to I need someone just to listen. And I know this one lady in Jerusalem, who it costs like three hundred shekels. She doesn't say a word the entire time. Boy, that that woman knows how to listen. And it's the funniest relationship we have because like I go in there and I sit down. And she's like, "So what's going on?" And then I'll just like cry something out like big time for like an hour. And at the end of the hour. And sometimes I'll take two hours because I know this thing's big. Like, I need two hours. And then, uh, and then I just hand her her 300 shekels, or if it's two hours, 600 shekels. And I say to her, you are, you're just the best. <laughs> and she just holds the money. And she's just like, I can't believe this. Like, and that's, like, that's all that's ever happened in there. You know? I, I've seen her now for like, I don't even know how many years, 15, 20 years. I'm almost crying right now just talking about it. You see, I'm like tearing up. You know, so, but it, you get it off of you. Oh, the rerun stuff. I would never do the rerun stuff. I, it's for me is I, I live a very fast paced and busy life and I'm, I take on a lot. And sometimes I outdo myself in responsibilities that emotionally I'm not keeping up with myself. So I myself need to like download emotion. You understand what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not keeping up. Like you generally keep up with yourself. I realized even last week I wasn't keeping up properly. But it wasn't more emotionally. It was more just physically. I feel like I overdid it. I overdid it. I pushed myself too hard last week. And um, so I'm kind of paying for that big time right now. I'm like big time paying for it. I'm, I'm, I, I miss the best surfing days. In probably three years in Israel... Like that, I don't miss those days. I don't even miss the not so good surfing days, but the best surfing days I had to miss because I just couldn't. You know, we surf early in the morning, we surf at dawn. I'm running a seminar this week that I don't get to bed before one. And there's just no, the only way I can do it is by burning the candle on both sides. And I could not do it. I missed, I missed really the best. Yesterday was the best surfing day in Israel in the last three, three years. Now we're all wetsuited now. At least, at least I'll be hitting California. You know, starting Thursday, so hopefully I'll be in good shape by Thursday to get back in the water. Uh, um, yeah. Whoa, you're gonna have to ask me this privately. I promised 405 today, um, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I know I spoke about a million things at once this time. I usually do anyway, but uh, but I hope you grew from it. And uh, if you've been watching this, uh, please subscribe. You know, on my channel. Let's build that up and. And if you if you want to help support me getting the word out there, so I got a media club. It's yomtomediaclub.com. Uh, please become a member of the club, Yomto Media Club, and uh, and that goes for my staff of media people and equipment and stuff like that. And uh, you know, share, follow all those bells and whistles. Okay, shalom everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.